Podcasts come and go. Blogs perish. Fan fiction disperses, coalesces, forms into forums. Other words. Nothing can be the Doctor Who Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DWP episode 342. This is Drew, and today I'm joined, I know, very rare occasion, but I'm joined by James. James, welcome to the caravan. Thank you. I'm glad you called it caravan. Brent now just refers to it as an RV whenever he's driving. So, <laughs> But it's, it's lovely to record with you, Drew. Uh, it happens very rarely, really. I think we last spoke when it was just the two of us in season 12 where there was an episode that we reviewed and um it, it just seems to be a very rare pairing so uh, it, it is good to speak to you particularly like the wonderful sea shanty that i heard at the beginning of episode 341 which i must just say i, I thought was absolutely brilliant drew i appreciate it yeah i i was heading out the door to mow my backyard and thought you know what i'm gonna record in in less than an hour I bet I could write an entire sea shanty before then. <laughs> Wrote and recorded the, the I guess it's maybe like eight lines of the sea shanty in about 15, and then sent it sent it to everybody to make sure it was okay. My original plan was to write a full full one for the, um, well, I mean, but I you know, wasn't going to do it. So I'm glad you liked it. Um, I did. That is not a thing that I will promise that I can ever do again. Uh, the moment moment came and then it went. Jodie Whittaker's nearing the end of her run. Was it bad or good or sort of fun? Hey, let's just focus on this one. It's a legend of the sea devils. An episode of the DWP, the US response 341B. With Michelle and Brent and Drew, that's me. It's time to start the show. Now, I very much admire creativity in... Um in forms that um, wouldn't occur to me. So uh, anything musical, uh, for example, forget. I'm never going to end up doing anything quite like that. And uh, for someone to come up with uh, even just an eight-line poem, uh, which essentially, I suppose, is what uh, a sea shanty is, um, it's it's wonderful. Uh, So, yes, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And uh, I've been ribbing Drew all week, listeners, about how we're going to uh, hear... On this episode, the Dragonfire rap, which um, Drew <laughs> has told me is not going to happen, unless, of course, you change your mind, Drew. No, no, I'm I'm in grad school and finals are this week, so the fact that I'm even talking to you at eight o'clock in the morning my time is a miracle unheard uh, of uh, in this household. <laughs> Let's just talk about what. Fandom seems to be talking about. There's there's two things here I want to touch upon. Um, the first of which is the article of the Chris Chibnall interview in issue 577 of Doctor Who magazine. Now, this is a, a massive interview. Um, and, and I think partly that's because Chibnall was being conspicuous by his absence uh, in terms of his contribution to DWM over the last two or three years. Uh, my goodness, have they made up for it. I think it's about 13, 14 pages of, uh, of a discussion. I think um, Emily Cook and Marcus Hearn 
had with with Chibnall not that long ago. But uh, have you had a chance to to read all of that, Drew? I did, yeah, and it was nice because uh, while I got the article and I started reading it, I I didn't bother to look who wrote it, and as I was about halfway through it, I'm like, I bet Emily did this. <laughs> this this smacks of Emily's level of of humor and good taste. So no, it was a good article, and you're absolutely right. Um, I think one of the things that fans are going to say about Chibnall's era, and this is a negative statement, is uh, <clears throat> the absence of some form of interaction in social media, um, and I think that's going to be to the considered to the show's detriment. Um, both between Doctor, it, it felt like there was no goodwill ambassador between the production hmm. and the fans. Um, I know you've said it. I've said it. A lot of folks have said it. And it was nice because as I was reading this article, I, I definitely felt sort of a, a goodwill f- sort of warmth towards Chibnall. It's like, oh, yeah, right. Remember when this was a thing? I do remember that. Oh, it's such a good feeling to hear from them and, and like, get their perspective. And maybe that shines a new light on some of the stories because not only is it an interview, but it's uh, a season breakdown, too. Mm, yeah, um, it's um, it, it's amazing, really, isn't it? Um, how valuable dialogue between the production crew and the fans actually is, and the uh, the impact that it actually has on uh, on how we as uh, consumers of a product think about um, how this is delivered and uh, or how the show is delivered to us. And as, as Chibnall was explaining all of his experiences um not necessarily bad you know um so yes he did talk about the pandemic and he did talk about various things going wrong and plans having to be changed at last minute but he doesn't do it with any real malice he just states it uh, as a matter of fact um he doesn't complain about it and and he also talks about how the big ideas that rightly or wrongly will define the chibnall era started and what it was that he was trying to to achieve and um, you know, I, I don't want to go through the entire in, entire interview. It'd be pointless people going out and uh, and reading it for themselves uh, if, if we were to do that. But I, I would say this is a, a fascinating read. It's really worth getting your teeth into, even if you're not a big fan of the stories um, that have been delivered over the last three seasons. Um, this this is, I would say, as close to essential reading as a, as a Doctor Who fan will um, will come to. That's interesting. I'm curious. Do you get physical copies of the magazine, or you just read it digitally? It, it varies. I have a digital subscription, uh, but occasionally I feel the need to have a magazine in my hands. And on this occasion, uh, I did actually go and find a copy in um, in a supermarket. I don't remember how long it takes for the DWM to get to the states, and I, it may have changed too since um, kind of the the. There was a time around the 50th where, like, people in the U.S. and general public actually knew what Doctor Who was and and seemed to appreciate it, where the subscriptions seemed to be coming in uh, much quicker than usual. But normally I feel like it's at least a month Mm. uh, after. So I don't even know if if the magazines have hit the newsstands. I also haven't been in a bookstore um, in two years, so I, you know. I'm not. Sure. I'm not saying this because I've been looking for it. Uh, I'm just saying it because it seems like it's not as popular as it once was. The physical print media. It, it's certainly harder to find here. Uh, you used to be able to get it in pretty much any newsagent, any corner store, any supermarket uh, within a couple of days of it being uh, officially released. 
Um, whereas now, I, I don't see it as often. And I'm not sure whether that's uh, just a sign of the times. You know, people do read things digitally almost um, as, as default these days, rather than an indication of how popular uh, the magazine is. I've not read anything else in the magazine, incidentally, whether that's uh, a reflection of um, what I think of the magazine at the moment or not. I'm not sure. Uh, but one of the other things I, I did notice on the pages of Gallifrey Guardian was the announcement of Doctor Who Redacted. And uh, this is a an audio drama. Um, I don't know whether this has um, come your way yet, uh, Drew. Or no, your I, I don't know what this is. Uh, it, it's essentially um, a BBC production. It's a 10-part audio play featuring Jodie Whittaker. Uh, it's produced um, by Juno Dawson, who's um, written for Big Finish in the past as well. And the BBC are releasing it periodically or weekly as a 10-part story on BBC Sounds. And of course, they're doing it um, essentially as a podcast. And in fact, all of the media has referred to this Doctor Who podcast. Now, on the day episode one of Redacted was released and all of the publicity was released... Our site, the DWP, crashed on several occasions, and I couldn't figure out what on earth was going wrong. So I had a word with John, who's a wonderful IT support guy based in Australia, and uh, he just said, the site's going crazy. People are Googling Doctor Who podcast and finding us instead of BBC's Redacted, which um, I have to say has done nothing but good things for our numbers, Drew. <laughs> No, I'm I'm just loving it. It's like, oh, wow, I really can't wait to listen to Jodie Whittaker talk about something. And it's just sea shanties and me <laughs> screaming about the legend of the sea devils in what could only be described as not my finest moment. <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that. We have actually received quite a bit of feedback uh, about legend of the sea devils and not wanting to go over... Uh, old grounds um that there was one point which paul davis makes uh, in, in his email that i did want to discuss with you um he says uh, hello campervan team uh, another episode of doctor who where the next time trailer was more entertaining than the episode it followed um now i i think that's interesting because for me that's been the case i think for the last three or four episodes um the the anticipation created by the next time trailer has been much much more interesting uh, than actually watching the story. Well, uh, as sharp-eared listeners will know, I don't normally watch the next time trailer. Uh, I like to go in relatively blind to the new episodes, uh, which is difficult because social media really enjoys spoiling stuff. Of course. Um, but yeah, um, this is one that I I had heard the rumor much earlier about uh, the next time trailer and who would be appearing in the episode. And so I was like, well, you know, I'm going to I'm going to watch and find out if this is true. It was. Uh, I agree. It, it really was exciting. Uh, but I can't speak mm. to the previous ones. I just don't I, I haven't even gone back to watch them. But I love trailers. I, I do find it fascinating how the art of making trailers, especially for modern films, essentially spoils everything. Like they don't trust the audience <laughs> to. uh want to actually go see it so it's like well look you might not go see this movie so in the next 90 seconds we're going to show you everything that happens um i also miss movie um voiceover guy in a world where two podcasters talk about a show (laughs) (laughs) yes i know what you mean i i think it's um it is a shame um this this was pre 
credits as well because there's been times with Doctor Who where you have the credits roll and if you want to see what's coming next you keep watching whereas this this trailer for what people are still referring to for some strange reason is the centenary special uh was directly after legend concluded and before the end credits please please watch Doctor Who we knew what this yeah. episode was. <laughs> it does feel Please like that a bit. throw it on. Throw it on. <laughs> Otherwise, no one's going to come back to the show. Yeah. I, I was so excited when I saw it that I, I mistook Kate Stewart uh, for Nyssa. So when I went on the, the flashcast, if mm. you like, uh, uh, that we recorded as soon as the credits rolled, I was thinking there's there's three classic companions coming back, like a trilogy of, uh, of, of female companions. But no, um, I, I was so excited that I didn't even recognise... Gemma Redgrave um but uh, I think I've gone back and watched that next time trailer um about four times and I've not had the urge as of yet to watch <laughs> the episode it followed uh, for a second time but we'll, we'll we'll see how we'll see how things go soon I I, I do like the idea of, of of watching Sea Devils again um uh, just because I, I I loved the way the Sea Devils were recreated but I I, I know I'm um I know I'm in the minority uh, where it comes to having having enjoyed that. Especially so. in this conversation, yeah. Yeah. Now, there's a sort of morbid curiosity on my part to go back and, and rewatch it. Um, it. I'm just going to have to wait until the very thought of the episode doesn't make me angry anymore. <laughs> You've not reached that point yet. No. <laughs> oh, dear. That's quite an impact, then, Mr. Chibnall has had on you. Yeah, and I, I will say this for those who you know are thinking i'm being untowards uh being a little a little crueler than usual <laughs> or a lot crueler than usual i i am like i said in the finals of grad school it it may i did have a group project to do that evening maybe it just hit me wrong but um yeah we'll see i i love the fact i love the fact that you uh you, you you gave what I thought was an incredibly good articulate uh, <laughs> critique of that episode, and then spent, you know, every time you took breath in between your points, you took the opportunity to qualify your somewhat less than positive review. And uh, I I just have to say uh, on record here, I I enjoyed your contribution to the last episode for many reasons, not just the sea shanty. But the fact that you um you you made so many salient points and uh, I I could hear the passion I could hear the emotion, um in in your in your words and it was just a, a, a visceral <laughs> reaction, and um yeah that's 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 uh, what the DWP stands for uh, opinion in the raw. Um. <laughs> Number nine, number nine, number nine, satellite five. 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 Satellite 
You said they were extinct. How come they're still alive? One minute they're the greatest threat in the universe, the next minute they vanished out of time and space. They went off to fight a bigger war. The time war. I thought that was just a legend. I was there. The war between the Daleks and the Time Lords, with the whole of creation at stake. My people were destroyed, but they took the Daleks with them. I almost thought it was worth it. Now it turns out they died for nothing. There's thousands of them now. We could hardly stop one. What are we gonna do? No good stood round here, chin-wagging. Human race, you'd gossip all day. Daleks have got the answers. Let's go meet the neighbors. You can't go out there! Hello and welcome to the last episode of Nine Lives, our retrospective of the Christopher Eccleston era. This time I'm here looking at Parting of the Ways with James. Hello Ian, hello listeners. So, we, we, we've gone all the way through, we've got to the final one, the, the, the big showdown mm. with uh, the, the Dalek Emperor appearing at the end of the last episode. Firstly, what's your memories of watching this the first time around? Um... I'm not sure I remember really clearly. Uh, I, I remember enjoying most of the 2005 series and I remember being really excited about finding out what Bad Wolf meant. So I think mm. I was, uh, yes, I think I was a little surprised after watching Bad Wolf how much there was left to address in the final episode. But um, there were lots of different storylines really. Uh, where Where were we going with Jack? Were we going to get an absolute legion of Daleks, as as seemed to be promised? Um, and um, there was there was all these rumours. Well, I'm not quite sure if there were rumours at that point. It may have been a fact that we we knew Eccleston was leaving. We knew he was going to be replaced. I I, I yeah, it was known at that point. It was. Um, I I don't think they'd done any kind of formal announcement. In fact, I recall they hadn't. They definitely hadn't said that Tennant is going to be the replacement. But everybody knew. Uh, the the press had got hold of it. But I I remember anticipating it hugely. I was I was in um <laughs> in a flat that I was living in when I moved into London. So it, it's kind of all associated with my memories of, of of living in that property as well. And we had a huge front room. And I remember having a television that was far too small proportionately. So I remember getting a beanbag and sitting in front of the screen, literally about a metre away from it, and just concentrating um, in a way that I don't need to now because I just put headphones in. But um, I, I do remember being very, very excited. And did it live up to your expectations? It's really difficult to say, isn't it? I, I think at the time... Fan consensus was, well, Bad Wolf, is that it? It was Rose. That's a bit weird, isn't it? Oh, he kissed her. He kissed her. Look, they just used a plot device to introduce a kiss. Watching it now, and I I watched this, or I finished watching it about an hour before we started recording, Ian, absolutely it lives up to what a finale should be, or you should expect a finale to be. It's brilliant, it's absolutely brilliant in almost every conceivable way. So um, so now, yes, uh, I, I would say I think this is a superb way to finish that series. Oh dear. I, I have to say, <laughs> watching it again now, I was actually quite underwhelmed. Really? Uh, I, I mean, I mean the, this whole per, uh, process of reviewing the Christopher Eccleston era, I've been continually reminded about how good his stories were and better than we remember, certainly better than I remember. Mm. 
Um, and they, it tends to be a bit of a forgotten era almost. But I, to my mind, some of it comes back to this episode because I do think that they ended the season on a little bit of a damp squib. And I mean, I mean actually, the Bad Wolf revelation was part of that because it didn't really make a lot of sense. It didn't really stack up. And it was the first example of something that I think became a bit of a running theme in in modern era of Who, of lots and lots of portent and lots and lots of build-up. And at the end of the season, they never, I'm not going to say the phrase, but you know they, they never quite get it to, to where we, we would want them to get it to. It doesn't live up to its expectations. I think that's pretty much a reflection of what fandom thought at the time when it when it went out because rose being the bad wolf doesn't make a great deal of sense if you just watch it on one occasion you have to go back and and to really try and understand it and is it a bit of a cop-out and uh, i think because i've seen this episode now so many times and i look at other areas that i wasn't initially interested in when watching it in 2005 and enjoy those elements so much it it kind of just is what it is now and 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 i enjoy it for that and it does make narrative sense uh, when when you listen to the explanation within the last 10 minutes of the episode but it's it's the other parts of the story that I think actually is pretty much what I've been missing from Doctor Who for the last few years. It's it's the electric dialogue between characters who aren't even given names. And if if, if you look at the credits on this episode, um, and I've I've got them in front of me here, you've got floor manager, program manager. I'm only here because of you. I joined the program because you were on it. Am I supposed to say when this is all over, if we're still alive, maybe we can go for a drink? That'd be nice. Yeah, well, tough. And these aren't just extras who have the odd one, one-off line. These are characters who are in scenes without any of the main characters, and yet they're you just buy into the situation. Um, Joe Joyner is part of that as well. And, um, you know, her demise, which I, I can't believe you'd forgotten what happened when I was listening to your <laughs> review of Bad Wolf. And you were thinking, oh, I'm quite looking forward to seeing Linda in the next episode. I thought, who's going to tell him? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, ju- just the light that flash on the Dalek head, you know, in, in, in tandem to exterminate and without... Ex- it's genius. And that there are so few moments like that in Doctor Who these days or even should i say possibly for the last 10 15 years and um those are the elements i just go back and and absolutely love you know even the little coda to father's day you know the conversation between rose and her mum about you know actually there was a blonde girl with with her father uh, with pete when he died and that was me it gets me every time and it's an emotional scene within a sci-fi story or within a sci-fi series and the blend is just perfect and and when i hear people say oh the reason you don't enjoy doctor who these days is because it's just not capable of reaching or making you feel like you used to uh, years ago it's just garbage it's just not true it's made in a different way that i don't appreciate these days And when I went back and watched this, I was emotionally moved. I remembered why I love Doctor Who so much. The regeneration is just perfect as far as I'm concerned. And Rose was such a good 
an inaugural companion to this modern era of Doctor Who. And, um, I mean, you can probably tell I'm quite passionate about it now. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to come on and uh, and talk about it. But I, I absolutely love this episode and I love the finale to series one. I totally get where you're coming from around the characters and the character interactions. Um, one of the strengths, absolutely, of this story is the way all those different characters, when they're sort of getting ready for the defence of the station, and, you know, there's some really good character moments in there. It's a bloodbath. Yeah, I mean, as an episode, absolutely. it is a bloodbath. And again, you tend to forget everyone dies. Yeah. You know, this is the complete opposite <laughs> of, you know, the the, the, the Doctor Dances two-parter where everyone lives. No, here, everyone, everyone gets slaughtered. Dies. In, in job lots. But what a way. What a way to do it. It's <laughs> so... I, I think Russell T. Davis has got a talent for combining tragedy, dark humour, with drama and, and, and sci-fi in a way that no other writer on the show has really nailed. And uh, you, you are right. I mean, you look in some of... Um, some of or you look at some... Other scripts that Davis has written, Midnight is an obvious one, but they are so dark and yet hmm. they still work because he contrasts it so well with believable characters and realistic dialogue. And that is what has been missing for me, certainly recently, hmm. but probably certainly over the last 10 years or so. The bits that I struggle more with, though, is, I mean, for example, the opening uh, act where the Doctor is on the Dalek ship talking to the emperor that whole sequence i have a really hard time with the, the the religion of the daleks and you know you will not blaspheme those words are blasphemy do not blaspheme do not blaspheme do not blaspheme everything human has been purged i cultivated pure and blessed dalek Since when did the Daleks have a concept of blasphemy? I reached into the dirt and made new life. I am the god of all Daleks! Worship him! Worship him! Worship him! They're insane. That just all seems really strange and to a large degree a bit unnecessary as well. And that whole that whole bit just fell a bit flat for me and i i just found myself rolling my eyes <laughs> at, at you know you will not blaspheme really it is weird i know what you mean i mean the whole concept of daleks getting a god complex is um you know you do wonder whether or not any of russell t davis's beliefs you know he's an atheist a very convinced and um, confident atheist he he just kind of wants to show up religion for the you know craziness that he thinks it might be and you know how do you make a race of aliens who are pathologically evil and at their heart Nazis even more bonkers I know let's give them a religion <laughs> <laughs> let's let's give them a god complex as well and there's no doubt towards the end that um, the Emperor Dalek is utterly loopy and uh, is is crazy and that adds an edge to his actions the doctor doesn't quite know where he's going to go um it, it it takes him by surprise as well and, and and then you've got this moral dilemma that the doctor's got to um negotiate 
does he kill the Daleks uh, along with every living thing on Earth at the same time? And in, in a way, that's what's revisited again later when we see the culmination of the Time War. And um, I, I like the Doctor being put in those positions. Um, and I think the line, you know, are you a coward or a... What was it? Was it? Uh, what was the alternative? Are you a coward or are you... I want to see you become like me. Hail the Doctor, the Great Exterminator! I'll do it! Then prove yourself, Doctor! What are you, coward or killer? Something else, I can't remember. But the Doctor chooses coward <laughs> every time. And I think that's that that doesn't serve his actions because it isn't cowardice to consider the life of others. And um, I don't know, it's... I just I just like the little different directions that this episode goes off in. And going back to Earth, in what is a very <laughs> odd juxtaposition between this desperate battle on a space station and knocking around a South London shop. housing estate <laughs> yeah. and the chip shop. Brilliant. Um, and then towing the, the TARDIS console open with, with a Mini and then a, 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 a towing van, it's a bit... Uh, it's a bit cheesy it's in your face it's in your face there's there's two things about that um one i think the the contrast once again is brilliant and um there's there's such a depressing scene where rose has had all of time and space taken away from her in an instant um and she's plonked into that cafe which is is more depressing than the one the losers on the apprentice go to uh to mull over you know they're they're, they're the forthcoming mauling they're going to get from sugar but um it, it's so depressing and rose actually articulates how depressing the prospect of just living is and i i think that validates the magic and the wonder of the doctor uh, which fans like you and me kind of connected with um and, and realized um that this was something that we wanted to watch and see every week back, you know, in a day. I, I think Davis used that to, to to really drive the allure of the Doctor home. And once again, I don't think that has been replicated since because I wanted to. I, I completely empathised with Rose. You know, she she desperate to get back into what was mortal danger, just because life weren't living anymore after she'd seen what was actually possible and it's probably a deeper line there that i i'm not articulating or um uh, realizing but it certainly got my gut put it that way and i have to say i totally agree with you about the re regeneration scene at the end mm. i mean mm -hmm. all through this christopher eccleston has been an acting tour de force and the lines he's given the setup the emotion of the scene the way he you know sells it it was probably one of the best regenerations i think we've ever seen mm. um and for, for it to be the first one in, in in the modern era i think was really brilliant and set the concept up great for the audience yeah i couldn't agree more and um can you imagine what it had been like had you not been aware that doctor who is capable of regenerating you know and um I, I don't know what that would be like and I haven't actually met anyone who just watched that series without any prior knowledge of the uh, classic series but um, I can imagine you know in other countries possibly in the states that would have been a fairly or, mm. or more common experience just because Doctor Who wasn't um, part of American culture in a way it is British but um, but the performance from Eccleston 
is worth mentioning as well. It is quite understated. I've been listening to um, the Big Finish stories that feature Eccleston. And whilst he's very, very good, he's very close to the character he created in 2005, he's much more emphatic. He talks like this all the time. Every word has an emphasis placed on it in the audios. It's not the case um, in, in this episode and part of the way. He's actually quite softly spoken and um, the words he says are no less emphatic or robust in terms of what he thinks they should do but there is a difference in the performance um, and, and I like this one on TV more I get it Do not interrupt Do not interrupt Do not interrupt I think you're forgetting something I'm the doctor and if there's one thing I can do it's talk I've got five billion languages and you haven't got one way of stopping me so if anybody's going to shut up, it's you! Okie doke, so where were we? And I do wonder whether Eccleston actually did bother to go back and watch his performances, uh, or whether indeed um, the writers for Big Finish will write scripts that lend themselves to him being slightly more softly spoken. Um, because I think the character is more convincing that way. It's maybe an audio thing. Maybe the direction mm, maybe. in the audio booth is that because you haven't got the visual cues, they need it to be a little bit clearer. Or who knows? I, I do know that the first of the Eccleston audios that I listened to, it it, it didn't seem to have the character quite mm. uh, dialed in. Um, I, and I do want to mention Mickey and uh, Jack because I think this story that we've just talked about shows um, the characters and indeed the acting talents off really really well uh, Mickey is much more rounded here much more believable much more down to earth he can relate to Rose as a friend he's not an idiot and um, I, I just really enjoyed watching him make a decision that actually if Rose's mind is made up he's going to support her no matter what and uh, and, the, and the way Jack worked and uh, you know his goodbye to the doctor and Rose is is, is done so well and, um, you know, I didn't realise or notice at the time he was wearing leather trousers, and I'm glad we never saw those again. But, um, you know, a, 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 maybe he picked up some tips from Trini and Susanna <laughs> the previous week. But uh, I, I think he's... Um, I, I just think everything worked here, you know. And, and you had everyone there. You had, you had Camille Caudry uh, as well in, in um, an influential role there. And um, I, I just liked this the way this... The culmination of this series was a celebration of the actors, of the, the the new depth Doctor Who had gone to in terms of telling an emotional story, how he he combined it with hardcore sci-fi at the end, brought the Daleks back in a new way. It just looked brilliant as well for the for the time. And I was watching it, you know, on my iPad Pro today, uh, in standard definition, and yet it's still brilliant. You know, it's still really good. So I'm I'm waxing lyrical and I don't really want to stop. This is my newfound role, you see, Ian, as the most positive member of the caravan. I'm just embracing that. It's not going to last. <laughs> <laughs> What's your thoughts on the Eccleston era overall? Uh, it's, it's difficult because um, you try and think, well, what did I think of it 15 years ago is it 15 years ago I suppose it is a bit more than 15 years now isn't it mm. yeah. so um, That's 17 I think yeah. yeah and do I actually remember what I thought about it without the, remembering the reasons why and you have to go back and watch it again to kind of reform uh, or refresh your opinion um, so my current opinion is that season one was almost uniquely brilliant uh, in in the 13 
and a bit if you include the specials and flux and so on uh, years or seasons that that followed it it's it it's the closest ironically to classic doctor who that i think we've ever been in this new in this new era which uh, and the reason why i say that's ironic or i think it's ironic is because i remember when watching it i was thinking this is so different you know particularly in the early episodes where he's incredibly the doctor's incredibly excited by meeting charles dickens to the point where he calls him mate and i remember that being a big controversial um moment because the doctor would never call someone mate would he you know and looking back now that seems totally irrelevant and 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 yet it's 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 much more recognizable as doctor who to me now than it was at the time um and I, I I do love this this era. I think it's brilliant. I don't think there really is a single episode from the 2005 series that I dislike. And um, I, I am actually going, forever grateful. I think it will be forever grateful as well uh, to Drew for making me reappraise and review my opinion of Aliens of London and World War Three. Because uh, listening to your conversation with Drew there totally changed the way I view those two stories which I enjoyed more than I remembered enjoying when I watched it originally so um as far as I'm concerned it's it's actually a really good era of Doctor Who and um the finale for sure has not been surpassed since it's been a great season to go through and Mm. I think it is unfortunate that the David Tennant era that followed it had such a massive profile because it had a huge cultural impact uh, Eccleston set the foundations for the modern revival of uh, of Who, but I think because the the cultural impact of what then followed with Tennant, people struggle sometimes to think past that to that first season, which is a relatively small part of the modern era. But you're right, it is brilliant. It is a great, great hmm. se- season, and going through it again the way we have done over the last couple of years in this series has really brought home to me how. Every episode is of a consistently high quality. And yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the Slovene, and, you know, there's some bits of that I'm not such a huge fan of. There's some bits of this episode I wasn't such a huge fan of. But you're right, there's not a clunker in the entire Hmm. season. And I'm not sure I can think of another modern season where there isn't at least one, often more than one, clunker. Well, recently, whole seasons of clunkers. So, you know, it's actually really refreshing to go back and to be able to watch through something that is just consistently high quality Mm. all the way through. I mean, it's interesting to hear your take on this because, of course, you've gone back and watched every episode and you featured on on every uh, part of of Nine Lives, uh, which which I haven't done. I've only been picking and choosing episodes that I'm going to be talking about. But uh, I'm pretty much certain i am gonna go back and start watching the whole of season one again and that will be i think probably fourth or fifth time i've i've ever done that since original broadcast and um i you know the whole prospect of just getting reacquainted with these characters again is exciting for me so as we draw to the end of nine lives i have to echo what what james has been saying that i i highly recommend that, that, that all of you go back and review this first season you won't be disappointed it's been a really great thing to go through and a really enjoyable journey. And having enjoyed going through this uh, era of uh, of Modern Who, I think we're probably going to try and set up a, a follow-on series with another Doctor. So watch this space. Time Lords have this little trick. It's sort of a way of cheating death. Except 
it means I'm going to change. And I'm not going to see you again. Not like this. Not with this daft old face. And before I go... Don't say that. Rose. Before I go, I just want to tell you, you were fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And you know what? So was I. Speaking of impassioned arguments for something, I, I have to say I appreciate your your spin on Parting of the Ways and the Ninth Doctor era in in particular. And I think, I think I agree with you. And the reason I seem mildly hesitant is because it has been a while since I've watched the first series in its entirety. I, I don't think there's a comfort ep- episode uh, in series one for me that I just kind of put on when I'm bored or I want to have just have casual Doctor Who on. But I do have a pretty high regard for for that series in particular because aside from and I I've, I've shared this story a lot, aside from the Paul McGann movie, uh, series 1 was the first regular Doctor Who that I watched. So, you know, like week to week to week. Uh and so it aside from the comics and that film, that's my entree into into the show. Um, and the more I watch and the more I think about it, uh, the more I miss Eccleston, actually. Um, you know. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's a stunning series, and uh, I, I really enjoyed, as you can tell, going back and, uh, and watching it again. I think Ian enjoyed it more than me this time, and, and as I alluded to in our conversation, uh, Ian's had the opportunity to watch each one because he's reviewed every single episode, and uh, that's that's given me a real appetite. Well, there's also that thing that uh, I didn't I didn't understand until I became a podcaster um, is watching something for fun versus watching something with a critical eye and knowing that you're <laughs> going to have to have a, a discussion about it changes the way we consume media, um, particularly Doctor Who. But I think because... Um, you know, I do Doctor Who podcasts, and I do TV podcasts, and I do movie podcasts. My ability to just sit back and watch something for fun has all but disappeared. Uh, and so I'm mm. always going to be watching it and thinking about certain things. And that is, in many ways, kind of a bummer, because I kind of miss those, you know, bright-eyed <laughs> early days where I could just casually go, Ooh, look! A story. It, there is a balance to be struck. Yeah. There really is. Uh, and to be fair, what you've just done there is articulated the reasons for the four and a half year hiatus the DWP took. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, getting that balance, I find a lot easier these days. And there are times when I say, well, I just want to watch the show. Um, and if I'm going to review it, then I won't make any notes. And I will literally just talk as I find. And that that's really does... Um, make things a little easier in terms of prep but if i'm going to do some kind of critical analysis then of course that word homework um kind of gets closer and closer to the conversation and becomes more relevant 
we have been doing homework, or I have, uh, I have been <laughs> classing this as homework uh, for reasons you'll find out shortly, I suppose. Um, you and I have been travelling back in time to an era that we have not discussed that much on a DWP of late. I thought, what a wonderful opportunity to go back to the 1980s, the late 1980s, and to talk about a story of fire and ice that isn't Game of Thrones. Ah, two of your best strawberry milkshakes, Sylvia mm-hmm. Beans. Certainly, sir. Mm-hmm. There must be some mistake in the reckoning, Sprog. The mistakes in your wallet, not my arithmetic. Do you take Asteroid Express? Glitz! Glitz! What? <laughs> no, never heard of it. It's us! Mel and the Doctor! You haven't forgotten us, have you, Glitz? Shh, keep your voice down. No, of course I haven't forgotten you. Oh, Mel and the Doctor. Yeah, you're not the doctor. I've regenerated. The difference is purely perceptual. Mm. Well, James, I, I just want to say I don't consider this homework at all um, because <laughs> I, I was kind of in the mood to revisit classic Doctor Who, something that I hadn't done since probably the last time you did assign me homework. Uh, and <laughs> Dragonfire seems to be a, a wholly appropriate one to explore now with the return of ace again i guess it's not spoilers because we've mentioned it so many times Absolutely. Um, with the return of ace like why not go back to the very beginning and and see like so um picture it 1987 uh this is only sylvester mccoy's what the fourth episode that Mm -hmm. they've put together i don't know about the order in which they actually recorded these but this is the one where it went out and i remember being extremely excited to watch this for the very first time because this story had a reputation but I wasn't sure what that reputation was. It was sort of like when I in 2011 2012 decided to take the pilgrimage right to start watching Doctor Who from the very beginning uh, to all the way up to the modern series before the 50th and you know, at this point in time too many of the episodes and stories hadn't been re-released, you know, they were still finding them, they hadn't put them out on DVD, they were only available on VHS, the internet was shaky at best, even at this point in time, at least where I was living, Uh, so I was going to the library on a regular basis, but I also had gone online uh, and asked about best episodes and worst episodes and trying to get an idea, and this had a reputation, but I wasn't sure which one it was, so I sat down with uh, a certain level of excitement to watch, and um, I enjoyed it then, and I enjoyed it now. Uh, what is your impression of Dragonfire? Oh, very, very similar. Um, it's um, I, I know it is not regarded particularly fondly uh, with, within fandom, and, and, and I can see it for what it is. I mean, it's a very different kind of story. It's, um, I mean, even the, the, the humor that is littered throughout the script is very different kind of humor to that which we were used to in in Doctor Who. Um, it borrows from all my, all manner of different successful films and and shows. There's definitely a a, a tinge of Alien there. There's um, Blake Seven to a degree. I I, I love. The creation of a small little gang uh, for the Doctor inside of the first ten minutes. You've got essentially four lead characters here in 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 Glitz, Ace and Mel, and uh, I I love the way that McCoy has um, slotted into his version or has began to slot into his version of, of the Doctor by then, and and those are the 
parts of this story that keep on giving, uh, certainly on on rewatch. And episode one is by far and away the best episode. Uh, I I really enjoy it. I love the concept of having you know, multiple levels of what is actually a spaceship. Um, you know, and when that reveal in episode three is made, the spaceship lifts off of Ice World. You can actually say yes. I can. Those corridors and those gantries clearly are part of a craft. Um, I I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I think the acting is not that brilliant in places. I don't think this is Sophie Aldred's greatest hour. She has flashes of brilliance, uh, but there are times when her dialogue comes across as unconvincing. I don't think Bonnie Langford's lines uh, or performance are the best, um, but it's it, it's a story that's just full of new, fresh ideas for what was at the time a new fresh series or iteration or incarnation of, of of Doctor Who and I appreciate it for, for for that change taking those brave steps and without stories like Dragonfire we would not have had Remembrance of the Daleks because it's it's a bridging episode in in many ways and um I enjoyed it then and I enjoy it now it, it's 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 a bit of a guilty pleasure I, I think, but uh, but what was um, what were your thoughts? I mean, this this is this is a very different story, not just to Doctor Who, you know, up to the point where McCoy took over, but also if if you take a look at the the, the preceding stories here, so what Time of the Rani, Paradise Towers, you know, it's um it's it's different. It's still different uh, enough to um to make it potentially difficult to swallow. So I think of Dragonfire as being the first story of modern Doctor Who. Um, I think of the Cartmel era as being punk. I think it's the it certainly the punkest Doctor Who had been. Um, it it feels like it's trying to do something very different. The budget seems to be a lot less. They're working. They're doing a lot more and relying a lot more on their writers. Um, the the stories feel fresh. They feel uh, of a of a certain time. You know, this is this is the time where I'm as a I'm beginning to be a teenager around this time, and so a lot of the themes that they're exploring are themes that were important to me. Um, and even though McCoy is not my favorite Doctor, I also like what they were trying to do with McCoy. I mean, like going from bumbling idiot to time god. Uh, in 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 basically <laughs> one year is a bit of a jump, but you can see that beginning to turn around in this story. Um, I was on a panel some years back, and we were discussing the modern era versus the classic era, and whether or not I think the Eighth Doctor movie where that slots in. And I, I said it's firmly in the modern era because the modern era starts with with Sophie. Uh, you know, Ace showing up is the beginning because those stories start to focus on the companion. It's not just about the doctor. The companion isn't just an assistant. The stories generate around her. Those blueprints of what is to be with Rose are, are they're right there. It's all set up. If all Doctor Who stories were put in a row and you weren't you didn't know about timelines. You didn't know about the gap. You know, someone who had never been introduced mm. to Doctor Who, and you just wrote like maybe a two-paragraph synopsis of what was happening in the ever episodes. You would point to this episode as the beginning of that that shift. 
I think in terms of concept, you're absolutely right. But the performances hadn't quite caught up with that idea, with the exception of McCoy. And I, I think he is understated throughout this entire story. All three episodes, you, you don't really get to see this crazy, out of control, um, manic Seventh Doctor. There's right. no spoons here, mm-hmm. uh, as we saw in Time of the Rani. You know, there's, there's, none, there's no madcap element to him. Um, and that's, I mean, he's so comfortable and believable as a doctor when he's in the TARDIS in particular. I think the TARDIS scenes here are strong, uh, both at the beginning and at the end. And he looks like he owns that console. <laughs> um, yes. but, uh, but, I think, but I think Mel and Ace, as written and performed, had not caught up by that point. And it wasn't until the next season, so season 25, where you had Remembrance of the Daleks to start with and uh, and then Happiness Patrol afterwards, where you see those characters and they're, de- they're delivering a different kind of, of, of performance that feeds straight into McCoy's final season. And um, I, I just don't think the balance is there in, in Dragonfire, despite the fact that the concept clearly is there. Well, I'm not a Doctor Who historian. And I, I know that there are listeners, when I say this, please, listeners, take this with a grain of salt. But what we have in this situation with Sophie is the same situation we have with almost every doctor shortly after they've regenerated it, in that we didn't know who we were going to get, correct? It could have been um, Ace, it could have been Ray. Like, it could have been two different companions, not knowing that Bonnie Langford was going to leave the show until, I think, what, episode three or four, when she finally said, yes, I'm leaving. Like, from what I have heard, uh, there's a script out there where Ace goes off with Glitz, right? Like, they travel together, uh, and and Mel stays with the Doctor. So you have a lot of flux going on here, to pardon the term, (laughs) where there's just a lot going on where they weren't sure of what was happening. Um, Mm. And I, I think... Part of that script is a reflection of that, the, you know, the finished product that we get. But at the same time, uh, you know, you you are talking about backstory. You know, like we do get a really interesting backstory that they then fed on. The seeds were planted here. Um, oh that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ian Briggs uh, talks about that in the in the documentary that was um, made at the time. Uh, the DVD was released, and uh, the the ending that we get, the conversation between the Doctor and Mel, was cut and paste. It was written by Cartmel for McCoy's audition, um, which is why it doesn't make a great deal of sense. Uh, it talks about time, but it's not particularly congruous with the story that we've just watched, and that's because you had multiple endings, and uh, they didn't know until the last moment which one they were going to going to use and whilst i think um, mccoy plays it with pathos and so on uh, it is a reflection of the speed at which these decisions or the lack of speed perhaps in which these decisions were were made and if if it had got to the point where bonnie langford was still woman and aring you know that close uh, to to when they were filming then yeah you can you, know, you, you get an idea of uh, the lack of thought and planning alien uh, in in today's uh, today's era i think there's something to be said too about sylvester mccoy without his hat on <laughs> yes <laughs> i know what you mean there's there's a quality to an unhatted mccoy that i was just thinking he comes off as being 
more human, more weary, and in some ways, and I've never thought I was going to say this about Sylvester McCoy, kind of handsome. Um, like He looks like this frustrated, and there's just a moment where he takes off his hat and he delivers a scene, and I'm like, I get that the hat is part of the costume, but in this moment it doesn't feel like a costume. His costume feels lived in, and I think it's just the removal of the hat. Like, I, I am not in a place in my life where I want to write a small paper on, uh, you know, hatless McCoy. But I think it would need to extend to the use of eyebrows because I think actually he's an eyebrow actor. Mm. You know, there are lots of eyebrow actors. Um, you, you look at Capaldi. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all we ever saw, I think, in Day of the Doctor was just his eyebrows. And without the hat, McCoy's face feels a little bit more full and expressive. Agreed. Did we ever see Capaldi in a hat? That would have been oh, terrible. Anyway. I hate those questions because I'll be thinking about that for the next week. And I'll have to text you when I... Yeah. Listeners. <laughs> As and when I find one. Save, save James Brain. If you, if you know whether or not Capaldi... <laughs> send, send the DWP pictures of Capaldi in hats. Uh, sorry, I should say the doctor, Capaldi's doctor in hats. Okay, so I forgot this was a three-episode story. Uh, and so I was prepping myself for a fourth episode when it suddenly ended. Um, this, James is a weird one. This may be the first episode of Doctor Who I ever saw. Um, when I think about the, the the time my babysitter showed me Doctor Who, I don't think I even sat through an entire episode, but like I know I watched it at one point in time. It inspired me at least to search out the comics. But there's this image wow. of that melting face kind of stuck with me <laughs> that when I saw it, it felt familiar not just because it was the exact same technique used in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, and, and it may be I'm remembering or misremembering Raiders, but this is possible. Um, this would have been coming out the same time I was uh, coming to the States. I probably would have been watching, but maybe not. I'm not, I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that one. Or do. I don't care. Mm. <laughs> I, I was thinking of exactly the same film franchise although i was thinking of last crusade and and the night at the end a similar kind of demise that we see kane but uh, but the raiders raiders example definitely is more pertinent but presumably it was before 87 yes yeah no yeah no this is this is um it is very much alien um especially in the the ant design um and it's Mm. very much uh sort of Raiders in that sense. There's some elements of Star Wars. There's some elements of Blake 7. Um, I do like when Glitz gets into the Nosferatu. Uh, great name for a ship, um, which, of course, is very close to the Nostromo from Alien, right? Um, but we get to see the fuzzy dice, which, of course, we get in um, Star Wars. I know Glitz is sort of a Han Solo character, um, <laughs> but, like, you know, like the the lovable Repscallion, which I think is problematic because I know there there are some intonations in earlier scripts that he and Ace had a relationship before the Doctor shows up on Ice World. That is is not not great. I will say this about the story: um, I haven't read its novelization, but. I feel like there's so much packed into this story that the novelization of it that I would like to read would be similar to the ones that the Douglas Adams stories have been getting, um, where they're like not just a, a short, tight little novelization, but actually a full novel. Uh, because I feel like there's there's a lot to flesh out, and I think this story suffers from that because it could be longer, 
but also it's one of the few episodes of classic Doctor Who where I feel like they got the number of episodes just right. Like, I, I, I think there's the potential for it to have more, but when it was over, I was like, yeah, if you had stuck another episode in there, I probably would have had an issue, especially because um, the budget did not match its aspirations no it, you, you're quite right it did look cheap it was saved this story in, in, in um you know you take a look at time and Arani, and i think that does overstay its welcome uh some would argue by four episodes but uh, <laughs> but at least at least one episode uh but the advantage here was it was filmed in uh tc1 uh, at the bbc which was the largest studio they had so hence the reason you had um lots of you got a sense of space where yeah. you had those scenes with with Kane um, where he's talking to Ace, which incidentally was Sophie Aldred's first scene that she ever recorded in front of a TV camera, uh, <laughs> where he's kind of trying to hypnotise her and you know trying to persuade her to take his sovereign. I, I think um, I think the the um, evident lack of money uh, that's very clear from the spaceship scenes uh, where all you see, like you say, is, is certain little things like a chair and a fluffy dice. Right. Uh, and also, you know, the, the location in the lower levels where the dragon is, is first, um, you know, the first shown, it literally makes an appearance just after Ace says, oh yeah, there's a dragon, you know? And uh, <laughs> so it's, I, I, I think the budget restrictions are very evident um, through a number of different examples, but whether or not the story would re- would benefit from expansion in the way that some of the Adams um, stories have, uh, I, I'm I'm not really sure. It, it's because how far would you rewrite the characters of Glitz and Ace and Mel to become more convincing? Because none of their dialogue is particularly convincing. You know, e- even the kind of substitute swear words that Ace uses, you know, bilge bag and uh, and donut. I mean, why she calls Mel donut is, is, is anybody's guess. That wasn't even a thing back in the 80s. That was just, quite frankly, a bit weird. I love it. Um, you know, y- y- yeah, I, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I don't like it. Sure. It's all part of the story and it's all part of the experience of going back and watching stories like this. But it is a bit weird. It's not real. It doesn't feel genuine enough. <laughs> Now, I'm just wondering what fa- uh, listeners' reactions will be if we move on to something else with act- without mentioning the cliffhanger. <laughs> cliffhanger. <laughs> well, the literal cliffhanger. The li- literal cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Do you know what? It's not even on my list of points to mention. That shows how much I've just kind of accepted it as there now. <laughs> I have I have nothing to say about it. Uh, I don't understand why it's there i assume it's it meant to be something else and in between filming it it got changed because you know he's hanging with infinite space and then next minute glitz climbs down below him to help and him there's down. a ledge there's, there's a this ledge. magic ledge it's fine yeah i agree there's, there's there's two boobs there really isn't there there's the fact that it's not explained as to what a doctor is actually trying to achieve by by sliding down his umbrella at the end of episode one what why is he actually there and then number two, this ledge materializes out of nothing in episode two, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's just it's just actually a, a shortcut to a lower level. I want to offer a third one as well. Oh, go for uh, it! In that, just from an editing standpoint, the maximum drama that you end on a cliffhanger should have been the appearance of the the dragon. It seems like that would have been the you know the it comes out of the shadows. The musical sting happens, and then you know 
you, you, you solve that problem. I don't know. Maybe they were running short or something like that. But that just seems like if I were editing it, that's the part where I would have done it. So anyway, I mean, everything that we've just covered, I, I, I genuinely enjoyed the episode. It's been at least a decade since I'd seen it. It probably will be a decade before I watch it again, uh, homework or no. But uh, altogether, uh, it was it was sort of a nice um, chance to revisit Doctor Who. And, and unlike some experiences uh, of the show recently, I enjoyed this one. Well, I suppose it's time. Time? Funny business time. It delights in frustrating your plans. All Cain's bitterness and hatred thwarted by a quirk of time. No, I meant, I suppose it's time I should be going. Time that I left. Yes, well, you could be right. Time for you to go. Before I go. Well, this is time. Doctor. Well, if you must I, go. Before I go, I'd just like There's to no say. No point, Mel. No point hanging around wasting time. No, I'm not going until I've said my piece. I just want There's to no say. There's no time, Mel. All right, you win. I do. I usually do. I'm going now. That's right. Yes, you're going. <laughs> You've gone for ages. You're already gone. You're still here. Just arrived. I haven't even met you yet. It all depends on who you are and how you look at it. Strange business, time. Goodbye, Doctor. I'm sorry, Mel. <laughs> Think about me when you're living your life, one day after another, all in a neat pattern. Think about the homeless traveller in his old police box. His days like crazy baby. Uh, and and there you have it. I, I feel like we've we've definitely delivered enough opinions uh, for one episode. Um, James, thank you for for having me on. This was um, this was nice getting a chance to to chat with you. I, I love it when you say thank you uh, for for having me on because it sounds as though you're a guest, and of course you're not. You're no longer <laughs> your guest status expired two years ago, Drew. You you belong here now, but uh, I, I I will return the compliment though. I, I could should I say thank you for inviting me back? <laughs> thank you for inviting it's, me into your ears, listeners. I guess I thoroughly enjoy listening to your uh, usually optimistic uh, view <laughs> of. Um, of episodes that I'm so familiar with, and it's been such a long time since I've uh, heard a new take on them. But I, I, I love recording with you, uh, Drew, and I, I hope our listeners enjoy it as well. And uh, of, of course, it's it's always um, it's always laced with a promise, potentially of some creativity um, coming from you as well. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, we've had hall. What, what have we had so far that have not been delivered? I, th- I think Horns of Nymon the musical was a fantastic idea. Oh yeah, I have not forgotten. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that was. <laughs> I feel like it, it was either the pen. No, I was. I started grad school. I, I had every intention to write a <laughs> short trailer for Horns of Nymon the musical as done by the band They Might Be Giants. And I still think that is in the books. Like, I still can do that. Could I do that by Christmas? I'm not going to make a promise, but I still might be able to pull that off by Christmas. I have five more classes to do between now and then, so we'll we'll see. Why not just say Christmas, but be nonspecific about the which, year? Which Christmas? <laughs> Coming in a Christmas... It's the Horns of Naimon, the musical. In a world where Drew delivers on his promises of musical interludes of classical Doctor Who, one Christmas isn't safe. <laughs> and then you just hear the sound. 
Lord Nymar. I, I was just waiting for that. I was just waiting for that. Anyway, we we better we better finish up, or else we're going to end up just revisiting all our favourite episodes and doing various um, reenactments of them. Yes, well, uh, listeners, if you have opinions about whether or not I should be doing any musical, anything involving Doctor <laughs> Who or podcasting, you can get in touch with the DWP. How how do they do that, James? Feedback at the Doctor Who Podcast is the email address that you need at the DR Hoot podcast is our Twitter handle or of course you can search us up on Facebook just search the Doctor Who podcast and uh, once you've got past the first hit that's returned you can take a look at the BBC's new <laughs> drama <laughs> redacted as well but it's 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 satisfying to know uh, that we we come in as the first um results into Google I wonder how long it will be Drew before I receive an email from the BBC asking to buy doctorwhopodcast.com <laughs> and how much it will be uh well just theoretical question James would you sell the rights to the name of this podcast for a guaranteed appearance on the show. Oh my goodness, I'm not quite sure fandom is ready to to see me in the show, but of course I would, Drew, in a heartbeat. <laughs> I mean, you, and by saying you, it would be all of us, right? We'd fly us out there, and then and it would just be the doctor disparagingly discussing podcasters <laughs> suddenly motion and it's just a like is it six seven of us how many of us are there in the caravan these days anyway there's there's a number there's a number um next time uh, on the dwp so that is dwp 343 uh what do we have drew uh well i i know that <laughs> without the list in front of me here i i definitely know that we have at least discussion of the audio drama the outlaws to discuss we do we do. Uh, Brent and Michelle will be taking us through that release, uh, which features a recast First Doctor. And uh, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if we will have any news about the new Doctor uh, by then. I mean, I, nobody really knows what sort of timing the BBC are working to in terms of when they're going to announce uh, the actor who's going to play the Doctor in the in the next era. Uh, note, I've been extremely careful how I worded that so that I don't nullify my prediction um, <laughs> that I made a, a couple of episodes ago. Uh, but so you never know, we may end up be discussing some brand new casting. Well, at least hopefully we'll have a date for everybody as to when the the next appearance will be because we don't mm. know. We have the date of, for the 100th anniversary, right? But we don't know if Doctor Who is going to be appearing on the date of so there there's absolutely, a lot to be seen absolutely and, and 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 more interestingly i think than that is the fact that at this moment in time once that episode goes out it could potentially be another year another entire year before we see doctor who on our screens again which means you know we may not have a christmas special this year so put it this way there's a lot um there's a, there's a dearth of information at the moment which someone needs to fit in and announce at some point and i'm very much hoping that's going to at least start over the next couple of months or so so hopefully we'll have something to discuss on upcoming dwps um but in the meantime all that's really left to say is, Drew, as, as I've said on several occasions now, it's been wonderful to record with you again, and we really must make certain it happens more often because I, I do very much enjoy uh, listening to you. The problem is I sometimes forget to respond because <laughs> I do quite enjoy listening to your comments. Uh, but, but listeners, we will be with you again very, very shortly. 
So Drew, I will say thank you once again and bye for now, everybody. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care. You've been listening to the Doctor Who Podcast. Carry on. <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember what the full. The, what's what's the um? The oh, egg just make egg. it up. Oh no no! I'm oh, um, sorry. I, you're not. Rec- I'm not. You're not having this on there. I was just making fun then. of the. I can uh, do that. I can include it. That'd be great. Go on. Just be. Just do what uh, what Marty does. Go on. Just remind me what he says. Been listen- You've been listening to the Doctor you- Who podcast. Uh- you have been listening to the Doctor Who podcast. You can find more episodes of the Doctor Who podcast at www.thedoctorwhopodcast.com If you have any feedback, let us know at feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com and something else. I like, Thanks did for listening. Did you like how I, I tricked you into doing that for me because you wanted me to do it? Yeah. It, well, you knew I wanted to, really. <laughs> You're welcome. Anyway, I am stopping recording. I am stopping the recording.
land called Hanali. Puff, the magic dragon, lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Hanali. Together they would travel on a boat with billowed sail. Jackie kept a lookout perched on Puff's gigantic tail. Noble kings and princes would bow whene'er they came. Pirate ships would lower their flags when Puff roared out his name. Oh, Puff the magic dragon lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Hanali. Puff, the magic dragon, lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Hanali. A dragon lives forever, but not so little boys. Painted wings and giant's rings make way for other toys. One gray night it happened, Jackie Paper came no more. And Puff, that mighty dragon, he ceased his fearless roar. His head was bent in sorrow, green scales fell like rain. Puff no longer went to play along the cherry lane without his lifelong friend. Not be brave, so Puff, that mighty dragon, sadly slipped into his cave. Oh, Puff, the magic dragon, lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Hanali. Puff, the magic dragon, lived by the sea. And frolicked in the autumn mist in a land.